0: Um, I'm Sarah Jane, and I'm the intern here at RUF, Um, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time, um, we're just really glad you're here. So in this psalm that we're looking at tonight, David is responding to a situation where he messed up. Um, As a result of his actions, he experiences the emotions of both guilt and shame, which we'll be looking at tonight and what it's like to connect God in both of these emotions. For context of what's happening in David's life, as he's writing this psalm, um, he had just taken advantage of his power and position and had sex with a woman named Bathsheba and got her pregnant. He then arranged for her husband, Uriah, to be murdered to cover his tracks. Um, Following all of this, his friend Nathan, the prophet, then confronts him, telling him that he'd done something wrong and that he shouldn't be hiding it. If you thought, yikes, yikes is right. Um, While David's sin and situation look probably pretty different from our own lives and um, Situations we can learn a lot from how he responds to his circumstances in the psalm This psalm that we're looking at tonight is David's personal prayer or poem to God in response to his mistakes While it's very personal um, the psalm is meant to be given to us um, the church as a way to see how to confess our sins and ask God for his forgiveness, that we might be able to bring our own sin and stories to God just as David did. In this psalm, David doesn't deny his guilt or wallow in his shame either. He could have just denied Nathaniel, Nathan's confrontation, saying, dude, you're wrong, like, it's not that bad, like, you have the wrong guy. Or he could have chosen to wallow in his shame as a response, saying, I'm unworthy of love and unworthy of connection. Both of these would have been easier than fessing up to the truth. Instead, David chooses to look at his mistakes and connect with God in both his guilt and his shame. He invites God into his situation and heart through prayer, looking face-to-face with this guilt and shame. And we, too, are invited to look at the psalm um, how we carry and interact with our own guilt and shame Not just to deflect or hide away from these emotions So tonight we'll first look at this psalm to identify what shame and guilt are and how we are invited to connect with god In these emotions. So before we dive in, um, let's pray that god will help us understand his word um, God, thank you so much for these friends here tonight. Thank you for the worship team for uh, being able to set our hearts and eyes on you and I just pray that You meet us um, in all of our stories and situations um, and that our hearts and ears are open to what you have to say to us tonight, Lord. pray this all in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, So first, what are guilt and shame? How are they different? And what is their purpose? It's a lot easier to kind of say like, oh, I know the purpose of love. I know the purpose of hate. But what's the point of guilt and shame? It's important we define and distinguish the differences between guilt and shame so we understand how to move through these emotions. And so we can separate these emotions when they're healthy or true and when they're unhealthy or false. As with fear and anger and grief, guilt and shame can be really valuable um, when they are from a place of truth. Alistair Groves puts it really well in his book Untangling Emotions that when guilt and shame accurately identify problems, Wrongs can be righted and relationships restored. When guilt and shame are working right, they push us towards apology, repentance, which means to change course and seek the face of the one we've wronged, um, and in making peace and reconciliation. These emotions, while painful, bring our attention to what needs tending, just like how when our bodies are in pain, it signals to us what needs our attention, what's broken, At their best, guilt and shame are meant to promote healing and growth. They're assigned to examine our relationships. On the flip side of this, when guilt and shame are working wrong, they drive us into isolation, away from connection, and into hiding, driving the lie of I am a mistake. So let's first look at how guilt plays out in our lives. Guilt communicates, I've done something wrong. From there, we're able to take responsibility for our actions and ask for forgiveness. In David's case, we see him recognize he's done something wrong, specifically in verse 3, if you want to follow along in your handout, and when saying, for I know my transgressions, he takes responsibility for his actions in verse 4, and he asks for forgiveness in verse 1. David puts language um, to his guilt in this psalm, and he's crying out to God to blot out his transgressions Confessing, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, and asking God to have mercy on me. Um, This language is so strong because his emotions and aches of guilt have weight to them. Maybe for you, you can physically feel your guilt in your chest or your stomach. We know deep down when we've done something wrong. We can feel it. It feels weighty and uncomfortable. In the movie The Emperor's New Groove, excellent A-plus movie, Um, we see a depiction of how guilt feels when Kronk is letting the emperor kind of head down the river towards the waterfall, um, off the cliff. And a little angel and a devil appear on each of his shoulders. And the angel on one shoulder says, are you really going to do this? Are you really going to let this happen to him? To which the devil on the other shoulder responds, don't listen to that guy. Like, all he's trying to do is head you towards righteousness. Um, and this angel on our, his shoulder is like guilt. It's a voice that signals to us we're doing something wrong and works to push us towards righteousness, pushing us towards restoration. The voice of guilt is offering Kronk a chance to consider his actions and change course. Guilt in this way acts kind of like a guardrail in our life, providing us help to know when we're acting against our neighbor and against God. Guilt is meant to signal or alert us a break in our relationships place where we need to make things right we've missed we've missed the mark and we need to examine the relationship instead of denying what is wrong and humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness from those we have hurt we see this in the psalm when david asks god to have mercy on me blot out my transgressions it's asking him to wipe them from the record david is asking god to make him clean to make him whole again he's asking god to forgive him when I think of the closest friends in my life, it's through the moments where one of us messes up and hurts the other, experiences guilt, moves through repentance and asks for forgiveness that we've become the closest. So we see in the same process in David's case, or we see the same process in David's case through the Psalm. Guilt provides us opportunity to deepen and restore relationships with our neighbor and God. So while guilt is a good and healthy response, to a relational break, and it can be applied to our lives correctly. Um, It can also be applied to our lives incorrectly, like any emotion. When guilt is warped, it becomes self-condemnation, arguing that no forgiveness is possible, which we've seen is essential in this process of restoration. Um, In this song, You, by Kendrick Lamar, off his album, To Pimp a Butterfly, which is amazing. Um, 10 out of 10, y'all go home and listen. Um, Kendrick is hitting his rock bottom as his it's like the peak of his album of like leading to rock bottom. Um, As his success has grown since he's left his hometown of Compton, one of the most dangerous cities in the US, um, he reflects on the overwhelming false guilt he feels from leaving his hometown. He expresses the blame he has placed on himself after seeing his close friends die there um, since he left and how his sister has fallen into trouble. While his sister's situations and his friend's death that happened while he was away were not his fault, the song is an emotional confession of feeling like a failure. He's putting blame and false guilt on himself for not being enough for them. While he feels guilty, this doesn't mean that he's actually truly guilty, right? Um, These mistakes weren't on him. As the album goes on, Kendrick pushes against these feelings of misplaced guilt to seek God's love and assurance and truth and faithfulness, depicting sin and Satan as this character in the album called Luce, short for Lucifer. He faces sin and chooses to connect with God in the midst of his guilt. Um, many of you experienced false guilt as a child. For some of you, you experienced your parents getting a divorce and felt guilty when um, One parent was sad when you visited the other for a weekend. You may have felt responsible for your parents' sadness, but that doesn't mean you were actually responsible, right? Or if you're a recovering people-pleaser like me, you might experience false guilt on a more frequent basis. While it is good to have a God-given instinct to help others, um, this desire can become twisted into guilt that plagues you every time someone is disappointed with you or upset with you. We take it on as us, not the situation. While it can be difficult to discern between false and true guilt, it's important we seek God and his word and his spirit for truth in these situations, not just what our culture is telling us to feel guilty or not feel guilty about. That we examine and sit with our feelings of guilt, no matter how uncomfortable they are, and bring them to God. So just as guilt is able to bring health and restoration, while applied correctly, so can shame. Um, so while shame often leads only to a focus on self, it can be misapplied onto us by someone else or ourselves even. Shame, and that happens frequently, but shame can be a healthy emotion and has the ability to push us towards reconciling with our neighbor and God when applied correctly. So while guilt communicates I've done something wrong, shame on the other hand communicates something is wrong with me and other people can see it. In Psalm 51, our passage tonight, we see the voice of shame in verse 3 when David says, my sin is ever exposed before me. He's communicating that my sin is exposed, I feel naked, I feel exposed. Shame is best described as this type of exposure of feeling vulnerable and misplaced. We can even feel pain in our gut when we have shame, that we're off, like the deepest part of us is disconnected. Um, We also see shame in verse 2 of our psalm that we're looking at tonight when David writes, Wash me thoroughly with my iniquity and cleanse me out of my sin. He's communicating that he feels dirty, that he needs to be cleansed. Nathan is confronting him and David feels seen and exposed and what he did was wrong. Um, So shame like guilt brings our attention to a break in relationship, but instead focuses more on how we're perceived by others. To look at another song, in the song Shame by the Avett Brothers, um, Seth Avett, one of the brothers, writes about a past relationship that went poorly. The song is a reflection of how he realizes he has done wrong after believing he did everything right. The song starts out with, okay, so I was wrong about my reasons for us falling out of love. I want to fall back in. My life is different now, I swear. I know what it means to care about somebody other than myself. I know the things I said to you, they were untender and untrue. I'd like to see those things undo. So if you could find it in your heart to give a man a second start, I promise things won't end the same. She continues into the chorus of shame, boatloads of shame, day after day, more of the same. He's sharing how when guilt never kicked in for the untender or untrue things he did in the relationship, shame did in its place. Later in the song, he sings about how other people have said they saw what was wrong that he did as well. So he's feeling exposed by other people, too, for what he did wrong. This feeling of shame then brings us to a place of recognition, repentance, and asking for forgiveness, like we saw in guilt. As um, Groves, the author of Untangling Emotions, puts it well, shame has a limited but important role in reconciliation. Shame typically comes to the foreground when guilt hasn't gotten the job done. And he continues, for example, if you've cheated on your spouse, you should feel guilty. You've broken your marital vow, betrayed your love, and likely harmed others as well. But imagine you are so blinded by sin that you resist the guilt that was meant to pull you away from that sin. When you found out, you still don't acknowledge how wrong you are. Consequences follow. Maybe you are asked to leave your home Friends and neighbors find out. Now you feel not only guilty, but also shame. The community sees you differently. The guilt and shame both convince you to think more deeply about what you've done and you finally repent. So while we typically don't think about shame as being healthy or a good emotion, it can have the ability to bring a great deal of health to a relationship. Shame sheds exposure upon Davidson, bringing him and us to a place of honesty and restoration. But just like guilt, shame can be warped as well. The word shame alone can evoke a lot of memories of how shame has hurt and damaged you, I'm sure. Of being shamed for things that aren't bad, things that are actually really lovely and good. I don't think any other movie reflects this type of shame better in our lives than the movie Frozen. Due to the sister or due to the unhealthy false shame Elsa experiences by her family when she accidentally hurts her sister from her ice powers, she becomes consumed by her shame. She is shamed instead of what she did for who she is instead and feels guilty and doesn't experience guilt of her mistake. This pushes her into isolation, away from a place of recon- reconciliation with her sister, with her community and she hides in her shame in an, her ice palace she constructs. She is embodying her shame. While both Elsa and David were exposed in ways that hurt someone, Elsa ran away from restoration and into shame and isolation. When we believe the lie that I am a mistake instead of I made a mistake, we, like Elsa, move towards isolation and disconnect from God and others. So what does it look like to not be consumed by our shame or guilt, and instead to connect with God and others in these emotions? In verse 1, David asks God to have mercy on him according to his steadfast love. We see David use this language of God's steadfast love to describe God in Psalm 103 as well. He says, starting in verse 10 of this psalm, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And in Psalm 17, as well, starting in verse 7, he says, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge. From their adversaries at your right hand, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. David is painting a beautiful picture of how God connects with us in our guilt and in our shame. In God's paternal or maternal steadfast love, he is someone who is correcting us. We see this in verse 6 and 10 of our passage, um, when David names God's wisdom and truth that he teaches. He's recognizing God's ability to create a clean heart and renew a right spirit. We see through these other psalms too, a picture of how God loves us like a good parent who wraps us up and covers us. Think of Liz like a parent who gives us a bath and then wraps us in a big warm towel. God is also someone who claims us, saying that you are mine and you are the apple of my eye. He is making us white as snow and cares for us with the compassion that a parent has for a child. We don't have to cover ourselves in an ice palace of shame. We can rest in the shadow of his wing. He gives us refuge from our enemies, and not just enemies like people enemies, but also enemies that could look like false shame, look like false guilt, and our sin and our suffering. As we see in Psalm 103, in Isaiah 43, verse 25, God responds to David's and our cry to blot out his transgressions. He responds to us by saying, I am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. While the reasoning for God's grace and forgiveness go beyond our human understanding, His grace invites us to repent of our self-righteousness and respond to His grace by relationship with him. And through and in our relationship with Him, we are able to learn how we can love and reconcile with our neighbor, just as much as God reconciles and forgives us. When we connect with God in our guilt and shame, we not only get a fuller picture of who God is, a loving parent who calls us his, but we also see who we are in him, that we're fully loved and known and forgiven. We are made whole and good in him. When we don't connect with God in our guilt, we either end up completely denying our guilt or feeling swallowed by it, um, that we feel guilty for things that we're not meant to hold. In either case of denial or feeling swallowed by guilt, we aren't owning up to what we need to, and we aren't able to heal relationships. The same goes for when we hide in our shame. When we do something wrong, being exposed is the last thing we want. It's so much easier to hide in the dark away from where the light is. When Adam and Eve, God's first people, transgressed against God and sinned against him for the first time in the Garden of Eden, they immediately experienced feelings of shame. And instead of moving to God in their shame, they covered themselves up with fig leaves to hide themselves from these feelings of exposure, feelings of nakedness. The voice of shame they are consumed by tells them that they are flawed and unlovable. In believing the lie, we are unworthy of God and his love. Shame drives drives us too away from God and away from one another. When shame drives us into isolation, away from God, truth and community... We are left spending for ourselves to find other ways to hide it. We cover ourselves with our own fig leaves to hide from the light and numb our pain. This could look like doom scrolling for you on TikTok, or binge watching Netflix or Hulu or Peacock or whatever streaming service you use. Um, drinking to the point of blacking out, patterns of self harm, porn, etc. In other words, things that avoid connection and being seen. But unlike these forms of fig leaves that we use to cover up ourselves, God's covering in the shadow of his wing is a safe place where we can go, where we're seen and fully loved. A place where we experience his steadfast love, where restoration happens, where darkness is pushed out. Right after Adam and Eve run into their shame to hide from God, he calls to them asking, where are you? And this isn't because he didn't know where they were but he wanted to show them and us that he doesn't leave us behind. He seeks after us. After finding Adam and Eve in the garden, God makes a promise to them and us too to send a savior that will end all sin and all shame, suffering, and Satan himself through a savior, through his son Jesus. And it is through the extravagant love that Jesus displays on the cross, taking on our sin and suffering, that we are free to move out of the shame that we hide in. Jesus is reclaiming us from the possession of the accuser Satan and making us his children. We are no longer defiled, but we are his. He calls us his and we are a new creation through Christ. So when we are overcome by guilt and shame, we need to remember our identity as God's children. We need to know that we are more than forgiven that we belong to him. At the end of Frozen, which is this is a spoiler alert, but you've had 8 years to watch this movie. <laughs> Um, Anna sacrifices herself to save Elsa when she sees Hans is about to kill her. In experiencing the sacrificial, gracious love that Anna has for her, Anna's heart is able to melt through an act of true love, through the unexpected love between her and her sister Elsa. The love Anna demonstrates for Elsa is able to push Elsa out of her shame and into love for her. And as Anna's heart melts, so does Elsa's. Her shame is able to melt away as her heart softens. Um, She's now able to take in Anna's love, see her loving sacrifice, allowing her to move out of her guilt and shame towards reconciliation. She's able to make things right. Where shame once filled her heart, there's now joy. She's even able to give Olaf the ability to no longer melt and gives him the experience of summer that he's been longing for. Everything is brought into balance. Misplacement is replaced with connection, And forgiveness and love cover Elsa instead of shame. This ability to love others well, to experience joy, to deeply connect with others, a knowledge of who God is and who we are, all come from seeing the sacrificial love on the cross of Jesus and his steadfast love for us. The more we're able to navigate our guilt and shame into health and reconciliation, the more we're able to experience the love that God clothes us in. We experience a love that is so restorative that it drives out any false guilt and shame in our lives. Let's pray.